Good evening, everyone. Before we get into tonight's stories, I got two quick things to say. First, happy September. Made it through another month. Congratulations. And two, if you're in Florida, please try to stay safe. I know it's really, really rough out there right now, and I'm sending all my well wishes to you all. I will try to find some reputable charities and link them in the description if you want to help with uh, everything that's going on over there. From what I've heard, it's really, really bad. And here in North Carolina, we might see a little bit of it, but I, I think Florida is definitely getting the worst of it. So if you're in Florida, I'm sending my wishes out to you and uh, just try your best to stay safe. Now, let's get into tonight's stories. I don't have long left. They're coming for me, and it's only a matter of time before they find me. I'm sitting here, this abandoned shack I found in the wood, using only the shafts of moonlight that coming through the broken windows to write this. I know that this will be the last chance I get to warn everyone, to tell them to find safety and hide. <laughs> hide? never thought in a thousand years I would ever think to use this word for myself. I can barely write this. My hands are shaking so violently the blood off my fingers is staining the papers I try to write. I'm sorry. I am so sorry that it has come to this. That I have to hide like some kind of animal. They're all dead. My friends. My comrades. Jess was the first to go down. They caught her as we were leaving the old mill back in town. I didn't know how they found out that we were staying there, but they did. We were packing, taking as much as each of us could carry on our backs. We heard them break through the front doors of the mill, their booted steps echoing through the empty building as they ran looking for us. We grabbed what we had and ran for the roof. But Jess forgot something. Had a locket or some shit. I told her to leave it. We'd come back for it later, but... But she couldn't leave it. Jess had told me once that the locket was a gift from another life. From a time she would never forget. A lover lost to war. I wasn't surprised that she wouldn't leave it, but I still tried to beg her to come with us. That it wasn't worth it. The others tried to tell her as well. But they were the ones who told me to leave her. They're the ones who told me that we needed to run. It had just started to rain as we ran across the roof. We could barely hear those first gunshots over the low rumble of thunder above us. The first screams still echo in my ears. I can hear them as if they were still around me. Screams made my skin crawl, the air filling with the sounds of death, and then... Silence. The four of us were scaling down the ladder when the silence filled our ears. A deafening sound. We all stopped. We shouldn't have stopped, but we did. Luke was on the ground already. He was always the fastest out of the five of us. He was looking up at the roof just as we were. Zack was beneath me on the ladder. Abby was above me, frozen as she waited. I should have known she'd have called to the roof for Jess. 
She should have never called out for her. We might have gotten away if she hadn't. It was only seconds after Abby had called out that we saw the black figure look over the edge of the roof, and I know my eyes went wide just like the others. That black, menacing figure. I heard so many tales of black dogs being omens or black cats, ravens, and crows. But I'd never felt as afraid as I had right then when I stared up at that faceless black figure that stared back at us. It was Zack that broke the silence finally. He yelled for us to jump and run. We were still halfway up the building on the ladders and looking down, I remember seeing Luke shouting up at us. I couldn't hear what he was yelling. Gunshots were too loud around us. I didn't get a chance to jump. Zack grabbed my ankle and tugged me hard, forcing them to release the prongs of the ladder. Abby had already jumped off the side of where she'd been, hurling herself down to the ground below. She'd always been the one to make these kind of jumps with such precision and beauty. She'd been a dancer once, a long time ago. She landed almost naturally on the ground below, rolling a few feet before standing up and grabbing at Luke, trying to pull him with her, telling him we'd catch up. I felt the ground before I saw it. My body bounced against the hard cement, and I felt my knees and palms scrape against its rough surface. Zack, though, was there with me, grabbing me up and pulling me up to my feet. Luke was around us, trying to get us to move. It was all happening so fast. I remember briefly looking back at the mill's roof and seeing eight black figures now, all of them shooting toward us, but we were faster than they were anticipating. We weren't Jess. We weren't reckless and rushing in blindly like she had. The next thing I knew, the four of us were running down the alley between the old general store and the florist. Zack brought me here once. It was one of the only places in this small town that sold our favorite brand of drink. It had been back when I'd first met him after I'd wandered into the town. I remember that day like it was yesterday. His dark hair and those violet-colored eyes. He was dashing and polite. But so mysterious. I'd been so thirsty from wandering through the woods that surrounded the town, so hungry. I still don't know how the four of us managed to get away from the mill, but... We knew that it hadn't been without sacrifice. None of us asked about Jess. None of us questioned if she'd catch up or where she could be. It was like all four of us knew the answer without asking it aloud. I knew. There was no way that she'd gotten out of there alive. They'd killed her, just like they'd kill us if they caught us. Luke was the first one to speak as we ran across Main Street, leading us to the old movie theater. He said what we all knew. We had to leave, to run as fast as we could and get out of there. He told us of a sanctuary, a place where we'd all be safe. St. Louis. I'd never been there before, but I knew that was at least an hour and a half away from our little hometown of Herman. Zach asked how we'd possibly make it there, and Luke just told him we'd figure it out. 
It almost felt as if maybe Luke knew what was to come, but was just too afraid to tell us. Abby was already checking the theater, making sure that we were safe, at least for a few moments. She was the quietest of us all, so she was always the first to volunteer to go scout around if we needed it. When she came back, though, none of us were ready for the look on her face. She had no color on her face, which was saying something due to how light-toned she already was. She told us we couldn't stay here, but of course, when Luke asked her why, she wouldn't answer. He pushed her out of the way and walked into theater number one. I shouldn't have followed. I should have listened to Zack when he told me to stay with Abby. My hand shot to my face immediately after walking into the dark room. I covered my mouth, my nose. The smell of blood was so overwhelming that it made my stomach lurch and turn. At least fifteen people. All of them dead. There were bullet casings covering the floors and the bodies were just there thrown across chairs and in the aisles. Zack told me later that this was where they lured everyone at first, that this is how we got so many of us down so quickly. I still didn't understand what was going on, though, but I was too afraid to ask. Abby came running into the theater room shortly after, telling us we had to leave right then. We didn't ask questions. We didn't need to. Zack ran to the back of the theater, back past the screen, and pushed open the door to the back alley. We ran. We had to. We left our temporary hiding place and ran back out into the rain that was now pouring down from the sky like buckets that were being dumped down on top of us. We had to run for the forest, to where we had constant cover and safety. That was at least eight blocks away in either direction. We were in almost the center of the town. Luke thought we should head toward where the bus station was, back on the east side of town. It made the most sense because St. Louis was east of here, but Zack thought it might be too obvious. That they'd probably be waiting for us and that the roads most likely had roadblocks by now, but it was Abby who thought much differently. She'd been so quiet this entire time, but finally she said We needed to go back for Jess. Zack just looked at her. Luke bluntly said no. Abby, though, wasn't going to settle for that answer. She started to cry. Or maybe that was just rain dripping down her face. She asked what if Jess was still alive or hurt and needed help. The three of us knew we couldn't go back regardless if she was alive or not, but Abby didn't want to hear it. I begged her to stop getting louder, but soon she was shouting at us, calling us monsters, telling us that this was all our fault. Abby said she was going back by herself, that she was going to get Jess. She kept backing up, and we were trying to get her to stay, to calm down, and to think about this, but just as she stepped back to where the side alley of the theater was, Her head jerked 
to the right, an explosion of blood sprang from the left side of her head. She made a sick, groaning sound as if still trying to talk, then just dropped to the ground. I know that I screamed, even though I shouldn't have, because Zack grabbed my arm and pulled me as him and Luke began to run the opposite way down the alley. East it was. I was in shock. I hadn't even heard the gunshot before she fell to the ground. Abby and Jess were the second people I'd met when I'd come here. They were in the general store, buying the same brand of drinks that Zach was buying me. They were beautiful girls, best friends. They'd been friends since before they could remember, and they were nearly inseparable. In fact, over the past numerous years, I can only recall a handful of times when they'd been away from one another. Jess had been in love with Luke, but Luke liked Abby. Unfortunately, Abby never got over her lost love. We ran down that alley as fast as we could. We didn't even look behind us. We'd turned down this alley, then that, swerving in and out of the buildings, doing the best that we could to avoid the main streets. We didn't see another soul until we got to where the bus station was. Herman Station was small, nothing big and glamorous, just a small outdoor station with kiosks where they sold tickets. It was quiet there. Luke had expected to find at least a bus or two, since there were normally a couple that were kept here for backup or emergencies, but they were long gone. Apparently, they'd been evacuating for a day or two before now. Quietly. It was like they knew who they did and didn't want to save. We'd have to run from here, make our way to St. Louis by foot. Luke even grabbed a map from a nearby kiosk, just so we knew where we were going and where to avoid. He had made the trip to St. Louis numerous times, but this would be the first time any of us had walked there. We let our guard down, though. We'd finally thought we were free, that we had our way out, and we were going to get out of there. We'd started walking toward the tree line to the woods, and we didn't bother checking behind us. We were stupid. Luke heard them first. Those heavy combat grenade boots slamming against the concrete as they ran. He told us to run, told Zack to keep me safe. They had their guns up and firing before I even knew what was going on. I heard the bullets ricocheting from us as Zack pulled me by my hand toward the trees. I didn't dare look back at Luke. I could hear the screams again, just like before at the mill. People were dying. Luke was dying. While we were running, I asked Zach what was going on, why this was happening. I thought we had a government immunity, that we were safe, that we could live. Zach told me that the immunity was over, that the newest president had thrown out the agreements and had deemed us all a threat to the nation. He called us monsters. He said that we had no reason to be here anymore. Zach told me that we were no longer safe. 
He said that all we could do was get to St. Louis where the safe house had been built just in case anything like this had ever happened. From that point to now, sitting in this shack, it's still a blur. We'd ran for quite a while, then just started walking east. It started to get dark when the sound of helicopters could be heard in the distance. Zach told me not to worry, just keep moving. But I had this overwhelming feeling of dread welling up inside me. We were in the middle of nowhere. I had no idea where we were or which way to go. Zach was leading me every step of the way. And I trusted him just as I always had since the day that I'd met him. He was my savior, my protector. He'd recognized me the moment I'd entered Herman. He knew that I was someone who would need to be protected. He took me under his wing and did just that. He introduced me to his friends, took me to the mill, showed me what it was like to trust and have friends again. Even now, when his life was on the line, he knew that if he left me behind, he could save himself. He protected me. He taught me so much over the past numerous years, I didn't know what I would ever do without him. I'd relied on him so much, that now, I didn't want to think about what would happen if we were separated. But we are separated. After hearing those helicopters in the distance, we heard the dogs, and then the people. The men were loud as they hunted us through the woods, obviously not trying to hide that they were close. It was like a game of cat and mouse to them. The hunters had become the hunted. When they were starting to surround us, Zack hid me in some brush and told me to find the first opening and make a run for it. I didn't want to. I wanted to stay right there and die with him. I stayed long enough to see the start of the fight. I kicked and punched him and he took every hit, even though I knew he could have fought back. He was stalling them. He was saving me. It took every fiber of my being to not call out for him, to scream his name as I watched him taunt him and stab him. I laughed at him, called him names, and dared him to fight back like the others. But he didn't. He just looked toward where he'd hidden me and closed his eyes. I still don't know how I got out of there. Even when. I just know that I ran the moment they shot that first bullet. I ran for what felt like hours. I ran until my chest burned and my body ached. I ran as fast as possibly could, putting as much distance as I could between me and them. Now I'm here, hiding. I can hear the helicopters now, far off into the distance. I could try to run for it, but I don't know where I'd go. I'm going to fight. I have to. It's in my nature. I've already drank my last bottle of fangs, and I remember that first bottle Zach ever gave to me government had created this for us to sash our hunger so that we didn't have to feed so that we could live with everyone else 
We worked, we loved, we laughed. We did just as everyone else did. We made names for ourselves, became citizens. We didn't train to hunt. We didn't need to fight. We grew weak and civilized. We weren't monsters. We weren't vampires. We were us. But that's gone now. Abby, Jess, Luke, Zack, they're all gone now. Fangs is gone. We're once again the monsters. Creatures of darkness. I can hear the dogs now, see the artificial rays from their flashlights and spotlights through the broken windows. The humans have declared war. They intend to eradicate and remove every last one of us. This is war. And I will stand and fight. I cursed under my breath as a branch whacked me in the face while glaring daggers into my boyfriend Dave's back. He was the one who had this stupid idea to go for a trek in the forest and then got us lost. I could hear my best friend Emily and her boyfriend Mark directly behind me and I knew they were as annoyed as me. I walked face first into Dave's back as he stopped without warning. I was about to give out to him when I spotted the town directly ahead. I breathed a sigh of relief as we finally found civilization after wandering around in circles for hours. I walked past Dave and toward the town to find a phone and out of this nightmare. My eyes wandered the town and I couldn't help but marvel at how picturesque it looked. Every building was painted vibrant colors and they looked like something you'd see in a magazine about a dream home. I slid to a halt as we reached the town square and there were dozens of people standing there unmoving. They were all staring at a fountain that lay dead center in the middle of the square. Dave pushed past me and sauntered toward them as I stood there unable to move. I almost screamed in horror as I watched him rip one of their heads off and fling it at me. I flinched away as it landed at my feet and I could feel the relief surge through me as I realized that it was only a mannequin head. I raised my head to scold Dave, but the words got caught in my throat. Every single mannequin was now staring directly at us. I could feel pure hatred in their gazes as I began backing away. Emily and Mark were already running as I turned and fled with Dave in hot pursuit. We turned a corner and were met with a wall of mannequins blocking our escape. No matter which direction we took, they were somehow ahead of us. I couldn't shake the feeling that they were herding us to where they wanted us to go. I heard a scream behind me and spun around to find Mark pinned to the ground by almost a dozen mannequins. I rushed forward to help him but was swatted aside. Dave grabbed my arm and began pulling me away as Mark's screams were brutally silenced. We ducked inside some kind of tavern and slammed the door behind us. Emily was sobbing uncontrollably while screaming at Dave for leaving Mark to die. I was about to go over and comfort her when there were two loud knocks on the door. My legs acted of their own accord and began moving toward it. 
Emily kept urging me to come back, but I had no control over my body. I carefully opened the door and felt my blood run cold as I saw what lay at the doorstep. I didn't even hear Emily approaching until she let out an ear-splitting shriek before fainting to the ground. I couldn't take my eyes off Mark's decapitated head, which was impaled on a spike outside. Blood was slowly dripping down the spike and was pooling on the floor beneath. His face was wide open as if he was about to say something. The mannequins lined the street and I couldn't shake the feeling that they were waiting for something. I gently closed the door and sat down in the chair. Dave was pacing the floor, trying to think of an escape route while Emily still lay unconscious on the floor. I practically jumped out of my skin as the building began shaking and I was initially convinced it was an earthquake. It took me a couple of seconds to realize that the mannequins were hitting the building. Emily awoke and immediately began shrieking as I walked over and slapped her across the face. She looked stunned for a second but quickly regained her composure. We began searching rooms as the thunderous noise from outside overwhelmed all my senses. Emily motioned me over and I mini-celebrated as she had found a door to an alleyway. We quickly rushed out only to discover that it led to a dead end. There was only one other door in the alleyway and I was hesitant about entering it but knew we had little other choice. We stepped inside a toy store that was filled with dolls. I was about to suggest that we leave, but the door slammed shut behind us and there was no handle on this side. There was very little light in here and I almost tripped on multiple occasions as I tried to navigate the room. One of the dolls cried out, Mama, before the others quickly followed suit. Every single one of them turned their heads and began crying that word again and again. The light suddenly went out, leaving us in utter darkness. The cries of Mama quickly ceased, and the only sound I could hear was the pounding of my own chest. I covered my mouth to stifle a scream as I felt a tiny hand brush my leg. My entire body went numb as dozens of hands began caressing my legs. I took all of my willpower to keep myself from panicking. Emily wasn't as lucky, as I could hear her screams as she thrashed about in the darkness. I noticed a tiny ray of light in the distance and knew that it was the doorway. I quickly braced myself before surging forward in that direction. I could feel things crack beneath my feet as tiny hands tried to pull me down to the floor. I reached the door and began frantically searching for the handles I could hear something moving toward me. I finally found the handle, but it refused to turn. My hands were shaking, as I knew it was only a matter of seconds before they reached me. I heard something charging toward me and braced for the inevitable. I stood there in shock as the door suddenly opened and light filled the room. I looked out to see Dave, lying at what was left of the door and covered in blood. I raced outside to help him up before remembering Emily was still inside. I peered back inside to see her sitting on the very edge of the light. Her legs and arms were covered in cuts and I could barely see her skin as she was bathed in blood. I beckoned at her to get up and follow me, but she simply smiled at me. 
I was considering going to help her when she suddenly was pulled into the darkness and vanished from sight. The cries of Mama once again started as I moved to help Dave. I put my arm around him as we hobbled away. I kept expecting the mannequin to reappear at any moment, but they seemed to have forgotten about us. Dave collapsed to the floor beside me due to a mixture of blood loss and exhaustion. I was trying to decide what to do next when the town clock began ringing. Mannequins suddenly materialized out of nowhere and they picked up Dave and ushered me toward the town square. They unceremoniously dumped Dave beside the fountain while I stood beside him waiting to see what would happen. Dave yelped in pain as something was thrown at his face and knocked out his two front teeth. He began whimpering in pain as I stared down at the mannequin head he'd ripped off earlier. A machete landed at my feet as Dave continued to cry like a baby. I gently picked up the machete. I could feel the sense of expectation from the mannequins. Dave began begging me to help him as I gripped the machete. I began remembering every single time he belittled me or flirted with other girls right in front of me. I swung the machete, and my aim was true as his head came clean off. One of the mannequins walked up and picked up his head before placating on top of the headless mannequin. I felt a perverse sense of joy as Dave's head swiveled on top of the mannequin's body. I looked into Dave's cold, dead eyes and cursed him for bringing us on this damn walk. The mannequins walked off toward the buildings, leaving me alone in the square. I threw the blood-soaked machete to the floor and began my long walk home. This happened a few weeks ago, and every night before I go to sleep, I hear someone cry out, Mama, from my attic. I pray that it's just my imagination, but I know in my heart and one of them followed me home.